Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life, and a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in your kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone that you love, getting a mani-pedi while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. See, you can already hear the smile. So joining me today is Chad Gilmore. And as soon as I said chasing your kids, I was like, your son is not running yet, but he's going to be probably sooner than you think. So joining me today in the studio, we're actually in a studio today, is my friend Chad Gilmore. Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. Thank you. Yay. I'm so happy that this worked out. This actually worked out like on a bit of a whim, didn't it? Yeah. Kind of a last minute thing, but it did work out. Yeah. Meant to be, maybe. Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. I was just in Vancouver at the podcast festival and you live, it was a seven minute drive from the library to your house. So I was Perfect. like, done deal. I beat rush hour. Yeah, I did. Yeah. Rush hour in Vancouver sucks. Yeah, it's difficult. It's tricky. Yeah, I'm not a big fan. Anytime Jess is like, come visit me in the city. I'm like, at what time can we make it Saturday morning at like yeah. nine? Yeah, because exactly. then I can actually cruise in here in no time at all. But yeah. No, today worked out well. It was a pro D day for, for school. So nice. Yeah. Let's jump in. I would love it if you started with a little bit of a timeline, where you grew up, what were your hobbies? We've got a lot to kind of weave in today and I'm really looking forward to it. So let's kind of start there. Sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm uh thirty-five years old. I just turned thirty-five. I'm from Belleville, Ontario. And um I've lived a few places in my life and I've been living in, I guess I landed in Vancouver about eight years ago and this is where I call home now. Um, Hobbies up till now have been photography and playing music and writing songs and also traveling and snowboarding. So I think snowboarding is kind of what brought me to Vancouver, but I've stayed because of, I would say I stay because of the ocean. I just love being close to the water and um, yeah, so now in Vancouver I have a uh, video production company and I write songs and I play in a band called The Long War with our friend Jessica Lee yeah and uh, yeah that's just kind of where I'm at right now we're definitely going to be doing a real full-on long war podcast episode at some point love it can you imagine having all of you guys on here I would love it yeah yeah, it's gonna be great I'm really looking forward to that Jared's pumped about it too yeah yeah definitely I wanted to kind of talk a little bit too about your new role as a dad. You're a dad now. I am. So that's a bit of a life shift. Huge life shift. And he's super cute. He's very cute. Yeah, you should start by telling us about your Halloween costume. Oh, you made him. He was uh, <laughs> he was the popcorn boy. <laughs> so we put him in the uh, the the baby holder yeah. on my chest. But what had happened is I put the coat on because it was cold. It was cold <laughs> out, and he actually slipped down into the the holder, so it looked like. I was the popcorn boy because yeah, nobody could see the baby was in there. <laughs> when you sent the pictures, I was I kind of looked at them and I and I thought more it was like you were the popcorn boy. Yeah. But then when it was the side image and I could actually see Francis in there, I was like, oh, that is so cute. Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh, 
it was a he was a cute costume he slept through went for a trick-or-treat with some other kids and uh he slept through all of the fireworks and everything so fireworks yeah there's fireworks i think in vancouver you can only light fireworks off at halloween that's the only time you're allowed to do it no way yeah weird little law but and he slept through them all of them <laughs> what a yeah. champion yeah, all he's of them. definitely gonna be your kid with the music stuff too. yeah oh yeah yeah <laughs> totally amazing I also wanted to jump into a little bit about music and the foundation that that has really set for you in life. It's become a really, a really big part of who you are. Yeah, it certainly has. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I met a friend, Max Van Kirk, when I was in grade eight and, uh, Max, um, Max has just been my, one of my best friends since. And he exposed me to some, you know, he just influenced me musically when I was at that age. So I bought a guitar. He was playing guitar, and I bought a guitar, and we tried to get a little band going, you know, 14 years old or whatever, and it didn't really materialize in anything. But um, I was raised by uh, my mom, who was a Christian, and she was a single mom, and she was trying to do the best for me and my brother, and she was really worried about kind of um, negative influences coming into the home. So she would um, kind of screen any music that was being listened to she hadn't yeah. listened to the cd first but max would give me these cds and say that they were christian bands and i would go back to my mom and tell him oh no my friend max gave me this is a christian band so <laughs> but it's like you know it's like uh it's neil young and bob dylan and stuff like that that he would give me or Jimi hendrix and say oh no he's a christian artist and i would take it back to my mom and in her naivety would be like, oh, okay well then that's fine so i'm very grateful for for his uh his influence and on me at that age and then from there I think music has been the only real constant in my life Mm -hmm. I've done a lot of traveling and been fortunate enough to see some places and I've always brought my guitar and played and then when I landed in Vancouver when I was 27 that's when I started to to take it a little bit more seriously and pursue it as a quasi-career when you just even even being in Vancouver, or I guess just overall in general in your music career, what are the things that make you feel most inspired to write? I think I've always, it, for, for writing for me, it's, I, I wish I wrote more. I don't, but it's always been like a cathartic process. So I never write a song to write a song per se. I, I have to write it from a place where I'm working something out. Like mm-hmm. I'm working out an emotion or I'm working out a feeling or I'm working out something that I might not necessarily know how to articulate very well. So I think that's where my inspiration comes from, and um, it's good and it's it's good and it's bad. You, you when you write songs that way, and then you play songs that you wrote four or five years ago, you're just not there anymore. So mm-hmm. they become kind of old or a little bit stale. Um, but I think that's where I draw a lot of influence and inspiration from is just what's going on in my my life and my my mind, and trying to get that out, give it a space to exist. Yeah. You mentioned that your mom, um, strong Christian, mm-hmm. uh, and you didn't mention too much about dad. Yeah, dad wasn't. Dad was on the other. I was. I had like a, you know, very opposite sort of uh, upbringing. Um, dad wasn't a Christian. We, you know, we were divorced family, as a lot of families are. And uh, my mom, after the divorce, she started going back to church. So we started going back to church. But then I also had my dad's influence and he was uh you know very he was into sports and we saw him every other weekend and he put me into hockey and that sort of thing so I had this like you know half me was in the Christian world and the other half me was in the non-Christian world and it, very grateful for that perspective now 
uh, as an adult and living life that way. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit earlier, just pre-recording about some really massive lessons that we learn from people directly and indirectly. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you and I could both just go off about that. But when you think of some of the major life lessons, perhaps, that you have learned directly or indirectly from those closest to you, including parents, really, um, or maybe like lessons that your your dad has even learned that maybe you feel like you've learned directly or indirectly. Can you elaborate a bit on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned off the bat, I'm a father now, so I'm reflecting on my father being a father and, you know, how he uh, maybe succeeded or not succeeded as a father, whatever that means. And, um, yeah, maybe this is kind of a backwards way to answer that question, but the lessons learned. And I think looking at his parenting choices and really wanting to make better choices for my son. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think what happened in my life once was when there was a shift in my perspective perspective with both my parents, but specifically my dad, where I had him on the pedestal of being a father and I had these expectations of you should be a father in this way. And I took him off that pedestal and I put him on the side. And I was like, okay, you're just a human. And the reason that you're making these choices as a father is because you have been, you know, affected circumstantially by experiences in your life that are outside of your control and they're affecting your behavior, which is affecting me. So um, there was... I guess healing could be a word that you use there, forgiveness, but just understanding and perspective that, okay, you are a father, yes, but you're also a human first. And that Mm -hmm. being human, you're affected by you not having a father and he didn't have a father. So him not having a father created this sense of longing and maybe uncertainty in his life and how he dealt with that. Mm -hmm. Um, Largely was with alcohol, which we can talk about as well, but learning a life lesson was I guess from that is just trying to figure out okay well what kind of father do I want to be mm-hmm. and uh and that's not an easy question to no. answer really you know no I guess too because it's still so new and even reflecting on your own life experiences and what you can bring forward into this new role as a dad this is obviously brand new it's not like you've done this before no there's no there's no, no textbook. there's no textbook there's no manual so cliche but it's true my friend Katie she said you know She's got a baby boy a year older than Francis. And she said, um, you know, you just, you have your baby and you become a mom, you become a dad. And there is, uh, there's some truth in that for sure. There's just certain things I think are programmed into us that we just know how to be Mm -hmm. a nurturing care provider Mm -hmm. for these, these babies. But then there's other things like, well, what am I going to say when he starts asking asking me questions? Mm-hmm. You know, there's one thing to keep this baby alive. There's nothing to to start having a conversation with him about the world, and that's that's a little bit more tricky to navigate, I think, than making sure he goes to bed at his bedtime. Yeah. yeah, wow, I have so much respect for that. I'm I'm really into this podcast called Beautiful Anonymous, and I feel like I've I feel like I know the host Chris Gethard, mm. <laughs> and he's been super vulnerable with with the the people that call in that he calls caller because of um you know, when he's kind of had this podcast and he's been hosting this podcast and being a comedian through the whole, Mm. his wife getting pregnant, well, through marriage and then his wife getting pregnant and now he's a dad and now the baby's a few months old. And he's been really vocal about that. But he, he just said that on the one that I listened to last week was about how it's like, holy shit, I'm a dad. And oh my gosh, I, I want to be the best 
the best person in the world for this guy. I mm-hmm. want to be the best dad that I can be. And I want to be able to give him all of the answers and provide him with the best. And, and you do put so much pressure on yourself to, mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were talking about, um, Gabor Mate actually, before we came to the studio here and he has a book called, um, it's a, it's about a philosophy called attachment parent, parenting, attachment parenting. I'm probably getting it wrong, but um, I was listening to him speak about that. And he said, um, kids need parents. And he's talking specifically to fathers. And um, traditionally, if one parent is going to leave, it's going to be the father. And he was saying, um, for the first three years of the child's life, just be present. He said, if you can make it to five, that's amazing. He's not even telling you to be like a good dad or a bad dad. He's just saying, be a dad, like mm-hmm. be there for your child as a father. And, um, I was listening to another Ted talks about a, a man talking about, um, uh, inner city youth. I think it was in Chicago. And he's mm-hmm. like, do you know what these kid needs? These kids need, they need dads, you know? And I'm not comparing my situation by any stretch of the imagination to an inner city youth in Chicago, but I do see behavior that my dad was, you know, exhibiting because he didn't have a dad. Like my dad's 86, 86, 87 this year. And he still talks to me the other, just the other day he was talking in a real, like a really longing way about not having a father Mm -hmm. and how much that has affected him. And, uh, so I don't think Gabor Mate is setting the bar low. I'm just he's just emphasizing the importance on on being a, being a parent, you know, and 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 that is a for, for me at least that is a something that I'm not taking lightly, mm-hmm. you know. We learn so many lessons both directly and indirectly, don't we? Mm-hmm. And that's something even when I think of my parents, I know I know how much my parents love me and how much I love them and how present they've been throughout my life. And I think of the lessons that I have learned directly, indirectly, or directly, indirectly, whatever you would want to call it, mm-hmm. from them about things that I do and don't want to do mm-hmm. in my life. Or, yeah, it's it's really interesting. And how there have been things, even with my students, how I have done something or said something or acted a certain way that I'm obviously in control of. I might not be super aware of what I'm doing, what I'm saying at the exact present time, but that has so much, even when you think of how other people are perceiving your behaviors in your word, how important it is. And now I think it's probably more present in your mind right now about how intentional you need to be with your actions and your words now more than ever. Yeah. Well, it's nothing. I mean, I've never done self-examination like like this before, you know, trying to be like, okay, what kind of person am I? What's, um, you know, what are, what are, what are the axioms of my beliefs? What are the truths that I hold? Um, and I, 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 I think I just had a predisposition to think that way anyway, but I think now it's more in practical terms, not in just abstract, you know, Mm -hmm. how do we understand truth or how do we get morality you know it's more like well what is morality and what is truth and Mm -hmm. you know when you're having a conversation with this little man what am I going to tell him you know um or uh, even like we said you know just we only just briefly touched on it pre-recording was how 
how much of what you say in a day mm-hmm. versus a week versus mm-hmm. a month or a year, how much you actually retain and remember or yeah. how I could say to someone, whether it's someone I'm in a relationship with of some sort or a friendship of some sort or a family relationship, right? My mm-hmm. parents and they have said something and it could be flippant. It could be intentional. It might not be at all. Mm-hmm. Right. But that I might remember something that they have completely forgotten and hold on to it. And mm-hmm. that could be good or bad. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you hold on to it or that festers a little bit mm-hmm. and then you can't let it go, especially the things that upset you in some way. And then it comes out later and, th- you know, someone will say, I said that mm-hmm. or I did that. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I'm so sorry. It also obviously happens the flip side too, where I might remember an action or, or a perspective from someone and, and think, wow, that was incredible and, and share that with them down the road and they're like really wow mm-hmm. thank you yeah i think we said too like which side do you want to be remembered you know yeah hopefully the latter someone's like you know when somebody shares with you something that you've said that mm-hmm. you are impressed with yourself to say that you know? yeah converse uh, communication is interesting too because you have what's intended to be said what is communicated how that is understood and then how mm-hmm. it's you know responded to yeah. but each one of those points there's can be a breakdown and um so that's a tricky one to navigate that where I think where I'm starting right now is where my intention. And I think what we were talking about earlier was, you know, of course of a day, you remember maybe 50% in a week, 25 and a month, five in a year, maybe you remember 1% of everything that you've said or communicated in a year, graciously 1%, you know? So if your foundation as a human is, is good and true, then you can really reasonably assume or, or at least hope that, the things that you say will be good and true. And I think mm-hmm. that's where I'm trying to to really do some investigating in my life about whether or not my intention and my foundation on that intention is where I want it to be. Yeah. it's It comes up with a girlfriend of mine and, and I quite often when we talk about the internal dialogues that we have, mm. whether it's internal dialogue between good, bad, happy, sad, or whether it's just an internal monologue, just someone who just doesn't shut up in your head that just keeps going on and on and on about how if that person was physically in your life, you'd be like, piss off. You know, I, I can't stand you. But but really how those internal thoughts that we have really are what help us digest our experiences. I was just reading something the other day about what thoughts are and thoughts are um, digesting experiences, understanding the world, understanding our reality, making sense of our reality. And when we put ourselves into a situation where maybe it's extremely unfamiliar, those thoughts become a little bit less cohesive. They mm-hmm. become more fragmented, and that fragmented creates confusion. And so what I've been trying to do in my life is opposed to creating, sometimes when I get scared or I have fear, my narrative inside is negative, and it becomes, um, I, I kind of, I don't know if the word of what I want to use is victimized, but mm-hmm. I, I, I start to create a narrative that protects my stance in reality that protects where I am in my position. And something that I'm trying to be conscious of is that I am witness to those thoughts. So those thoughts are not mine unless I take ownership over them. That's just my mind trying to create a reality for me to understand. And I need to take a step back, analyze them and be like, is this something that I truly subscribe to? Is this thought that's pestering my mind something that I am either A, conscious of or B, subscribing to that I believe in that I want to believe in because those thoughts will 
eventually affect my behavior. Oh yeah. And I think that's something that one of the things that I've been grateful for is just, um, one of the better decisions that I've made in my life was to, to take a break from drinking and the clarity that that has provided in that specific sense and just being able to really separate myself from those thoughts. And I think when I was drinking a lot, I didn't have the, uh, the tools to do that. Yeah. Back up a little bit and, and kind of give us, um, some perspective on how alcohol and alcoholism has kind of weaved itself through your life. Mm -hmm. Um, well, my dad was an alcoholic, so, you know, what does that word mean? And uh, you and I were talking about addiction before we got here as a symptom and not necessarily a problem. But in my household, just the way that we talked about it was a problem. And when I said that I took my dad off the pedestal of being a father and put him on the uh, on the side of just being a person, I can understand, okay, well, this behavior here of, of being an alcoholic is because you're hurt and you're dealing with it. And you might not have been taught the skills to deal with your hurt in the proper way and now it's self-perpetuating itself. The mm -hmm. hamster's on the wheel and the alcohol is the hurt, but then it's also the cure for the hurt and down that road we go. So fortunately, my mom has always talked about it, about, you know, my drinking habits, you know, be careful, you, you know, you're susceptible to alcoholism and this and that and whatnot. And, uh, you know, I'm a musician and a bartender. So in my, my world, um, the amount, you know, four or five beers after work is, is no thing. And you're drinking five or six days a week or seven days a week. Your, your, your sphere of influence doesn't check that, you know, whereas if I was working nine to five and having four or five beers after every work day, then maybe someone pull me aside and say, Hey, you know, let's not go to the bar today. Let's go, mm -hmm. let's just go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So not only is that behavior unchecked, but it's sometimes celebrated in the rock and roll world. You know, the more you drink, the the more of a rock and roller you are. Yeah. And, uh, I was on tour with the long war and I came back and I was just, you know, physically, I felt physically so unhealthy. I was gross. I just felt, you know, I put on, I think we were eating pizza and drinking, you know, six beers after every show or something you know because mm -hmm. that's on the road that's what you get paid in is beers and food right and uh i just felt physically unwell and decided to get physically healthier and then once i was three months into that i realized how mentally unwell i was and then i decided to pay a little bit of more attention to that and say well, okay well then where's that coming from and then once i had some critical mass behind that. I'm just, I haven't put any parameters on how long or if I'm never going to drink again or anything like that. But I'm just been, I think, uh, I think it's been 16 months or 17 months now. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. That's the longest I've ever been since I started drinking. And I'm not saying like I was a hot mess wreck. I've done yeah. some really embarrassing stuff yep. with, with drinking for sure. But, um, I was saying like when your behavior becomes so destructive that it's right out in front of you, that's very easy to target and say, okay, I don't want this in my life anymore. When you're destructive to others or you're, you're hurtful to yourself, you can target that and say, okay, well, this is bad for me. But when going back to the, the, the thoughts, when it affects your thoughts in a negative way, in a very subtle way, and those thoughts are affecting your behavior in a very subtle way, that's when it's harder to pin down. Mm -hmm. And for me, having that clarity of three months of sobriety and then realizing that my thoughts were very different, my behavior was very different, then I was like, okay, maybe this thing's bigger than I thought it was. And another thing I, I think about, it doesn't become a problem until it is a problem. You know, you're, you're, you're in a, 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 a community of bartending and playing music where 
you can do that. But then when you're not a bartender or a musician anymore, you know, and you're, you're doing whatever job you're doing, are you still, do you still have those habits? Do they travel with you? So, and again, I'm, I'm just speaking from my perspective. I'm not saying no. that I was, you know, I never felt like I had a, a an addiction to alcohol, but I definitely had a distraction by it. Mm-hmm. So, And when you said that there were some changes in behavior and your mentality after you had your three months of sobriety, what were your biggest takeaways from that? Or, or I mean, what were your biggest like, oh my gosh, this has changed the most or... I think just a, my just general self-perception of who I am. I don't, I don't know why. Um, maybe this is a motivation for playing music in, in the first place was to put myself in a position and a pedestal to be desired because mm. I didn't feel good about myself or I wanted some validation externally. Right. Um, but I think that there was uh, that, that, again, that narrative that we're talking about earlier of that repeating voice that was kind of, um, negative thoughts about myself kind of just faded away and it, it's still there and it still comes back but now I am have the clarity to be like again witness to my thoughts no I don't subscribe to that that's not me mm-hmm. I don't that's not a thought that I own because I am you know I, I'm not that I don't know where that comes from I really don't I, I, I've thought about where does that poor self image or whatever we want to call it where does it come from? Where did it develop? Mm-hmm. I thought maybe it could come from just you know, my dad playing sports and being very um, performance oriented. If I performed well, then I was praised. If I performed poorly, then I was chastised or whatever. And then I thought maybe it comes from religion and Christianity in that way. And I'm not saying it comes from one or the other. I honestly don't know, mm-hmm. but I know that it was there and I know that I didn't, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't know that it was there until I had some, some form of clarity. And, yeah. and and did some did some searching. I mean, I also had Francis in that time, and then you know did some really started to do some digging, as soul to, searching as to what was going on. Yeah. in my life, and uh, yeah, I think that was one of the one of the bigger the bigger um, realizations was my self perception. Yeah, in a more positive, loving way. When. So the 16, 17 months ago, was that when you guys were touring in Ontario and I came and saw you guys in Ottawa and Bubble? Yeah. Okay, cool. So I was just trying to put that time in perspective Mm -hmm. as to even when I had seen you in Ontario last. Yeah. Which would have been then. That was it. Yeah, it was May, I think May 22nd, May 20th or 22nd. I just, that was our last show. I had my last drink. Yeah. How have you found, have, has there been that pressure though, even at work? I mean, people obviously are going to support you. You're great. And mm-hmm. you've been at your job for so long and the band is like a family to you. So they obviously respect and haven't pressured, but have you, have you felt the pressure indirectly or directly at all? Absolutely. Um, th- one of the things that I'm having a hard time getting my head around is just, um, a lot of time that I spent with friends was at a bar. Mm-hmm. And I feel that there have been friendships that are quite dear to me that I feel, um, I don't know if compromise is the right word to use, but yeah, I've been, there's some strain on those relationships. I feel or a lack of closeness in those relationships is probably a better way to say that. Because um, they were so in the bar? Because a lot of, t- a friendship is like someone said, I was just reading today about, 
loss of friendships and it was like friendships like a garden you 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 tend to it and the, the more you tend to it the more beautiful your garden is and I understand friendships is just time spent and a lot of that time spent for me was in a bar mm-hmm. or or with a beer in my hand at a party or wherever it was and it wasn't that I was like I can't be in those places because I feel like I'm going to be pressured to drink right. the, the, the the pressure was more uh you know just just I had one friend who wanted to do a shot with me and uh and he was really drunk and he came into work and he's like oh man let's do a shot and I was like you know I haven't drank in 15 months you know I think he wanted to celebrate Francis's birth and I said I appreciate it but I haven't drank in 15 months I'm not you know I don't I'll pass and he goes oh man you're way more fun when you drank and I was like Mm. I was just kind of like well then how close are we as friends Mm -hmm. and and that kind of stings a little bit you know so not not uh, more more indirectly i mean nobody none of my friends have ever been like you know uh, i don't even think he remembers saying that i think right. he was just drunk but yeah totally none, none of my friends have been like oh you know let's just get drunk tonight or whatever they've all yeah. been supportive too and I, I haven't really i mean outside of this conversation i haven't really advertised it at all it's been very personal yeah a very personal um decision and I'm certainly not putting myself in a situation where I want to champion myself from that situation, from that decision. I'm just saying the perspective I've gained from that situation is worth sharing. Yeah. I I feel you've shared a few things and have kind of come back. And I really respect this, that you've got such a self-awareness to recognize things that you have, have said about yourself or something that you have done, but that you've also kind of put into it that it's not to, put yourself on a pedestal or like you make yourself seem super special or like a champion or anything like that. Um, have you always kind of had that mentality of just kind of making sure that you, like, it's almost like you're checking yourself. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, it's mm. almost like the things that you're saying, you're like, yo, pull your head in or something mm. like that. But, but it's actually in a really humble way. Where does that come from? Question to you. Is that just a softer version of a harsh self critic? Right. Ah, yeah. Like, is that just me not allowing myself to champion myself for the decisions that I made? Or is that me being humble? Because maybe that's the problem, part, huh. of, part of the issue anyway. Yeah. Is that I may have never allowed myself to indulge in the accomplishments that I have put effort into. Right. So I, I don't know. I cool don't, perspective. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I think... I, I think that probably comes from being raised Christian and, and having this... Uh, the understanding of being uh, humility and being humble, not mm-hmm. being better than anyone else. Yep. In my world right now, I'm being challenged with that, that, um, that understanding of how humility is interpreted. Uh, it's the a friend of mine is having a conversation with me about being humble right now, and that humble is in fact understanding where your talents lie and really holding on to those, but then knowing that that doesn't make you any better than somebody else. Where my mm-hmm. she's trying to kind of show me that my version of humble is actually not allowing yourself to rest in those accomplishments. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's a, well, I just learned something too. I uh, had never had that shift. So thanks to your friend. Yeah. I, I, and I don't, and I don't know, I I haven't really, I don't know if, if I agree with what she's saying. No, but I think that even just rounding your perspectives that way, Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. Even when you think of some, um, accomplishments that you've had, um, whether it's 
you know, career, well, I, I think you do a very good job at what you do. I also think that with your, you know, now you're a dad, you're a musician, you're in a successful band, like you've got a lot of cool things on the go. Um, when you mentioned earlier about the internal environment that has kind of been up and down in your life, can you speak a little bit to that? Because I think even just the term internal environment can really explode in any mm-hmm. direction. So I'll let you take that one. Yeah, I mean, just just kind of like my mental scape how healthy that is and and you know when do you gain perspective on the how healthy you are so when i stopped drinking i decided to exercise and i was exercising my i had a rule that i was trying to go to the gym two or three days a week mm-hmm. and i had a rule where i couldn't eat out like if you and i decided to go out for dinner and shoot the breeze then i could do that but i couldn't eat out on my own i had okay. to have company which is one rule. <laughs> yeah, which is it, it, these are yeah. just these are just soft rules that I made for myself, and then yeah. I, I was trying to buy groceries from the grocery store, and that was just how I was trying to stay healthy because I knew if I put myself on like a diet plan or whatever, I was gonna be like I wasn't gonna mm-hmm. do it. I don't work well with like yeah absolutes or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then for the continuing like nine to ten months, I was really regimented on that, and I was like I had like a, it was like a only raw vegetables for like a good solid two or three months and I think I swung the pendulum too far the other way Ah. and I was like pursuing this thing of this is healthy this is healthy and I thought that I was again talking about that perspective I'm like I did gain perspective but then maybe the pendulum tipped too far the other way so balance in my life is something I have difficulty attaining and um but just you know finding that perspective I guess at, at least with the exercise thing is like I just lost the, I had lost I think more weight than what I should have lost but then I was also exercising more than I should have and mm-hmm. not eating properly to match that exercise so uh, that's a little bit different I think it still comes with kind of maybe uh, an addictive personality or obsessive personality and being obsessed with being healthy and is that healthy in and of itself and then, um, but then the thing there is that I, at least I have a sober perspective to, to, to understand that. Right. Whereas with a non-sober mind frame, there's, it's quite foggy. It's quite, um, non-clear. So mm-hmm. maybe that's the saving grace there. Yeah. And kind of doubling back just a tiny on to the that perspective of, of wanting to be your best or be the best or, mm-hmm. you know, be a champion of some sort being the best. Would you somehow link that or could you somehow link that back to um, your dad's presence or lack thereof and, and trying to impress him or be noticed or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I that's something I've definitely thought about is just he was his affection was so performance based is that um you know, a lot of the times when you, I would be playing sports or whatever, hockey was a big thing. If I did well on the hockey game, then I would be praised. I would be like, oh, you just, yeah. you know, if I didn't do well, then it would be a punishment. So maybe that's where that came in and that I wanted to do well. I was just talking with a friend today about how I, how I schedule my days, how I, and I, this is a, a recent revelation or a recent perspective shift in my, my mind is that I'm very task oriented mm-hmm. in my days. I wake up and I set my day out for tasks. I have very little room for spontaneity because spontaneity is chaos as well. 
So if I can keep this structured, I can live within, you know, a fairly foreseeable reality within my days to weeks. And as I tick off those tasks, I kind of give myself a little reward with a pat on the back. Like, there you go. There's performance-based affection towards myself. Good for you, good for you, good for you as I go through the day. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And if you blow that up a little further, well, then maybe that is the motivation to be the best. Because if you're the best, then that's the greatest form of of performance-based affection for yourself. Uh So maybe that is... um, Maybe that's where that comes from, is mm. is that relationship, you know. Has, ever, has, go ahead. I, I just have a friend of mine who was talking about, um, you know, again, talking, thinking about being a dad and what it means to be a man and what it means to be a dad and all that stuff. And he was saying, you know, in a, a family structure that when the the father has such a, such a weighted presence, it's not more weighted than the mom, but there's such a, there's such a significant presence there, whether he's there or not there it's still hugely there's uh, you know there's a huge influence there and whether he's there at the capacity of of I'm not call it trying to make his way through it or whatever so it's you know it, I just think about that being like okay well then what kind of presence am I going to be for this sweet little angel that I have now so mm-hmm. I don't know yeah and I have nothing to tell you <laughs> <laughs> I am not a dad, nor a mom, nor a, a parent of any sort. And uh, so I can't shed any light on that, but <laughs> I'm sure you're going to be great. And I, when you keep saying that, you know, I had a chat with a friend or I was just speaking to a friend, I'm thinking like, I want to be in on these chats because you seem to have some really <laughs> great chats with your friends. You know what? Um, I'm, I'm fortunate just to be surrounded by uh, uh, quite a few thoughtful people that yeah. think deeply about some stuff. And those are the conversations that I... I really enjoy anyway like this one this is why I appreciate you taking the time to sit yeah down. that's why I was stoked when you were like yeah I'm in mm-hmm. game on oh yeah because these are again these are the, well you know a lot of the people around here that I know mm-hmm. and these are so much of the conversations that we have I I I really try and encourage people that I love to get vulnerable mm-hmm. open up and mm-hmm. And how much more connected I feel with another person after a really nice conversation that's beyond just surface level, that's mm-hmm. beyond what you did that day or what you ate for breakfast mm-hmm. or, you know, what color you're going to paint your wall. Like, I want to I want to dig a little bit deeper and get to know someone and talk about real life things. Mm-hmm. I think that's for some difficult. Oh, super difficult. Do. I've never had a conversation like that with my dad ever. Never with my mom, different. But with my dad, never. And I, I thought about that. I'm, I'm, I thought about that. Like, why have we never gone below the surface? Mm-hmm. And when we try to go, there was a conversation the other day I was having with him on the phone, and we were, we went somewhere that was like a, was a significant issue. And then he diverted and went right back to the hockey game. It was just like without missing a beat, he just he went just right back to the score of the, the hockey game from the He night couldn't before. do the emotional side? No. Yeah. And then I thought, okay, well, then I was thinking, well, okay, well, why why could that be, you know? And then it's, it's one, it's painful mm-hmm. because if you start going down that road, you it's like if you start doing, if you start going that direction where you're reflecting, like there's, that, that that's hard work. You know, someone that at his age in his 80s, that's a lot of reflecting to be done. And I'm not saying he doesn't reflect. He just maybe not communicate that reflection with me, at least. I, I still think that irregardless of gender, 
that it's only more recently being accepted for people of all genders to be more vulnerable with their emotions and Mm -hmm. to open up and communicate more. Because I even think of my dad and I didn't know my dad's dad, but I think of my grandpa and my step grandpa who I call Papa and, Mm -hmm. and a lot of the, a lot of the guys in my life about, and especially the older ones, right though, that, that don't have that emotional bandwidth to communicate on those levels because they've always had to be tough, right? They've always had to be, be the patriarch of some sort, right? And really kind of do what they can to be tough and whether they had an active role in the parenting or whether they were completely removed it's they had to just present themselves as as the tough guy or as someone who cared but not too much you know and and wasn't going to cry and wasn't going to get sappy or dig too deep into what made them tick yeah right? yeah and i think i mean you're absolutely right it's is that what it means to be a man? You know, is that toughness really what it means to be a man? Where does that come from? And obviously it's, you know, culturally determined and, and, uh, and, uh, I don't think so. No, I don't either. I don't think so. I think, and then when somebody is emotional, they're, they, maybe they have that narrative that kicks up and says, okay, well, this isn't right. I shouldn't think this mm-hmm. way. Or, and then they think something's wrong with them. And then, I've, I've talked a little bit about that on this podcast, though, too, just even about the term or the word emotional and how there has been such a negative spin on that for so long. It's like, oh, she's emotional or oh, he's emotional or they're emotional or whatever. For me, you're damn right I'm emotional, but it's because I feel so genuinely and I experience my emotions on a real level, like hard, you know, and I care and I love deep. But I think that that should be celebrated. I think that that's really special. And I think that when I look at the people that I surround myself with, that there's a lot of that, I really honor it. Mm-hmm. And I think of how much more connected I feel to another person once we've had a vulnerable conversation of some sort, just me and this other person, and have held space for each other to really let go. But I'm wondering too, if with your with your dad... I know that it's directly like I think that his lack of communication is directly correlated to to pain mm. um, and the the lack thereof of presence for his his own dad in mm. his life. Right. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the fulcrum for him is that there was just that, you know, uh, um, kids need fathers, yeah. kids need mothers. And mm-hmm. I think that was the that was the 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 place in his life where where that's where it started from there's lots Mm -hmm. of other stuff there i'm not gonna go and unpack his his psyche but um you know to to your point about the emotional there's i mean if you share something emotional with someone and you share something honestly with someone there's there's a responsibility there now Mm -hmm. right you've 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 shared a truth about yourself with me and enough that you trust me to protect that truth and now i have the responsibility of protecting that and um, I'm also culpable if I don't protect that. And I think there's that responsibility is uh, responsibility is an interesting word in you know in my life right now. I think I was gonna say in most people's lives, but what do I know about other people's lives? I'm just saying in my mm-hmm. life, um, having the responsibility of Francis and how yeah. that you know how that affects you, just how you understand yourself and yourself affecting the the world around you really around you yeah yeah everything's connected Mm. 
I have three questions for you to wrap up. They're kind of loaded. They are, mommy. Ready? Yeah. What are you most proud of? Uh, I think I'm most proud of my ability to, to learn. I, I kind of figured out how I learned at a younger age. I learned, uh, I taught myself Mandarin when I was uh, 22. I moved to China. And then from that, I, I learned Mandarin, but I also learned what I needed to do to learn. And I'm, I'm pretty proud of that. Uh, yeah. I had cool. no idea that you did that. Yeah, it was a cool party trick, but. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so this is also an invite for round two on the podcast because we feel like we have more things that we can unpack. Okay, my other question is, what do you want to be known for? That's a good question. I was just talking with my partner the other day and uh, I was explaining to her, you know, like I've never been, I want to be the best at something. I want Mm -hmm. to be the best. And maybe that goes back to what It's been a common theme, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I don't feel as though I've been the best at anything. And a coworker of mine also presented like, it sounds like you have a pretty harsh critic inside your brain. So mm-hmm. you probably are the best at something. You just yeah. would never acknowledge it. Uh, but I, I, this is going to sound so cliche, but I would like to be known at this present time of life as a, as a good father, as a loving father to Francis. That is very apparent. You gush love for this little boy, <laughs> like mega. And the other one was number three, the final one before we wrap up. When life is chaotic, things are going sideways, you're not in a good headspace, what brings you back to center or what practices do you have to reset? I mean, music for sure. Yeah. Playing a song or even just playing guitar and then just letting whatever kind of comes out, mm-hmm. come out. That has been over the course of my life. It has definitely been what kind of grounds me. Yeah. And uh, another practice that I started that I haven't done recently, but was journaling in the mornings. And I, awesome. I found journaling in the mornings would help uh, get all the garbage thoughts out. Yeah. And it gave them a physical place to live. And then you could, you know, if if a if there was a theme in, in those thoughts that would come out every morning and try to do it when I woke up, then you can actually like look at it. You're like, oh, this thing is bothering me. Wow. Whereas sometimes if you if it just tumbles in your mind, you, yes. don't, you don't recognize that it's bothering you, but it is influencing you. I read somewhere once that the, when you wake up in the morning, if you can bring a conscious awareness to the first five to 10 thoughts that come into your mind when you first wake up, and some of them are going to be obvious, like I'm hungry, I have to pee, you know, oh my gosh, I really need to brush my teeth, like the obvious ones. But then there's other things. It's like, I need to pay my bills today or shit, I'm late on my whatever payment or um, I really miss so-and-so or so-and-so is so super sick and I and I love them so much or... I'm really mad at so-and-so. I don't know. I'm making shit up right now. But you know what I mean? Those those first thoughts that come to your to your mind in the morning mm-hmm. are generally the ones that circulate in your mind all day long. Mm-hmm. So I really respect that, that just getting them up and, and and putting those thoughts down on paper as soon as you wake up is really powerful. Yeah, I think that the practice comes from my friend Cassidy suggested the artist way. And in the artist way, they call ah, them yeah. the morning pages. And you just three pages of just kind of undirected writing and I was like well you know journaling I kind of turned my nose up to it and then I started to do it and I was like uh stress reliever it would really I I couldn't believe it I was also exercising again I was you know kind of I had a physical outlet at the time too so it was probably timed with both of it but Mm -hmm. I just felt like my stress levels were down um, I could really get a grasp on what was Mm -hmm. going on in my brain and I could really significantly take a large chunk of my thoughts that were Again, not something that I wanted to subscribe to and put them aside and say, no, this yeah. isn't me. So. 
Well, thank you. Is there anything else you'd like to leave our guests with? Uh, I just, I, I, I guess the only other thing that I was thinking about just now when you're talking about that is, yeah. um, I just struggle with reflecting, uh, on gratitude and that's just something oh. that I've been trying to, to do is when those negative thoughts come in, just trying to like counteract them with things that I am grateful for in the same context that those negative thoughts exist in. So Give if, me an example. Well, if you're in a situation where that might be difficult, let's say you, let's say you found yourself in a situation that wasn't ideal. It wasn't what you had planned. It wasn't, um, and it's very unstructured. You don't have control over it. And you're, you get in the, you get in the, again, defending my stance, what I was saying earlier. And you're like, well, your thoughts start to defend you and be like, you know, this isn't what I want or this is BS and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, this person affected me this way and this person affected me that way. And then those starts start to tumble and you become a victim and all of that. What I've been trying to do is flip it and go, be grateful that you have a roof over your head. Be grateful that you have inexpensive rent. Be grateful that your belly's full. Be grateful that you have a job. Be grateful that the other things in your life are happening. I, do, I don't do that. I've just been trying to do that. That's one thing just with when we're talking about the mm-hmm. morning pages, that's one thing I think um, she encourages as well is just to write stuff in there that you are, in fact, also grateful for. So Shift the perspective a bit. Yeah. I like that a yeah, lot. Yeah, and that's, I, I think I just say that to remind myself. I like it a lot. Yeah. I appreciate you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you. You will come back on the podcast. I would love to. Yay! Everyone, thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Safe Haven Podcast. Like, rate, review, or share these episodes. Comment as you follow along. Interested in supporting the podcast in more ways than just listening? If you go to the safehavenpodcast.podbean.com and look at the top right, there's a little green button there that says become a patron. And this is where you can donate as much or as little as you like. There is no obligation. It's just one other way that you can make sure that the podcast continues, that my equipment is covered while I chase the content for these incredible stories. Tell your friends about the podcast. That also really helps. Simply rating or writing a review does wonders. I really appreciate you and I will talk to you next week.